1: You're listening to MoneyWise Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to MoneyWise at davidsoncap.com and don't forget to to subscribe like and comment to the money wise podcast on apple podcasts so as we kick off every weekend's money wise program i'd like to turn it over to my brother jeff to go into the numbers from wall street from last week so jeff take it away
0: okay in the week just passed the dow jones industrial average was up 213 points or six tenths of one percent the s&p 500 last week was up about 22 and a half points or or one half of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was up less than four points, so we'll call that unchanged. And for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 13.7%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 18.6%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up
1: 16.8%. Well, I will say if you see the ending week numbers and you didn't catch Monday's market performance or market movement you would think it was just a pretty much a typical week but i would say this past week was anything but a typical week on wall street
2: but at the end of the week it was just like a big nothing
1: burger i i mean yeah i guess you could you could you could sum it up that flat. way but but when you actually take a look and a broader look at the markets i mean if you look at the s&p 500 as of friday's close it's still it's still 1.99% below its 52-week high. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 2.34% from its 52-week high, and the NASDAQ is down 2.31%. So we've, we had a little bit more of a corrective move at the beginning of the week, but a lot of that was recovered by Friday. Uh, so a lot of movement. There's definitely a lot of hand-wringing. The bears – started to uh, poke their heads up out of their caves from hibernation and saying up here we go here's the start this is the start of the 10 to 15 percent corrective move that we've all uh been you know wringing our hands about and and financial entertainment press has been talking about and then we get to the end of the week and the down the s&p were up for the week but still off slightly from their 52 week highs
0: i believe at one time the, the Dow had been more than five in and around 5% correct. from there were all
1: correct. They were all around 5% off their 52 week highs. That is correct.
0: Sometimes the, the markets, the, the pundits will say that when all there's all this talk about, we got to have a correction. It's been a long time since we've had a correction that it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. And my, I mean, to be fully honest, I, you know, I was beginning to think, well, maybe here it is. Uh, September uh, is historically a weak month. October is historically a weak month. There's been a lot. There's some been some bad things that have happened in the market history over, you know, hundred and some odd years that have occurred in the month of October. The biggest one being uh, the Black Monday. Black the Black uh, October. Black Monday and I, 19th. I, was it October 19th? October been,
1: 19th of 87. November
0: 87. I was 30. a senior in college taking my first investment course. I remember that day uh, vividly. And, and dad would, if he was here, he'd be telling us the story about uh, warning uh, the investment committee he was on at the time that they needed to own less stocks and and, and own more double digit yielding uh, government bonds. And they told him to go pound sand and, and they went uh, to go
1: play golf, I if and, I remember and, correctly. And, and with the uh, office, and then but I'm miss my tea time. And then within
0: within six months. Yeah, within six months <laughs> of that, I think dad was running the stock portfolio. And no yeah. longer and, and no longer <laughs> running bonds. Yes. Okay. Jeff?
2: Let's back up. So if anybody would have told me Friday what would have triggered this sell off and then in Chinese real estate, you think anybody Friday would have predicted that last Friday? No.
0: Well, that's, well, that's the – the, there, always, there always has to be a cover story. Ex- thank it is your God. excuse. There always has to be an excuse. There always has to be a reason. It's never the same reason. Uh, how about you know, the market just needs to have – take a breather. We've been talking about uh, low volumes in the market. Uh, Several we've talk, weeks. We've been talking about narrowness of, of the number of stocks moving higher versus those moving sideways or lower. Uh, dad was telling me this afternoon about the, you know, the advanced decline numbers were showing uh, uh, an oversold condition uh, heading into Monday, Monday, made it even worse. And now we're working off that oversold condition. So the rally that we saw Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you know, will it continue into the, to the end of September? I believe the highs for the, the most, all the averages occurred in like the first first week of september if my memories because we're that still is, showing yes, we're still showing september we're still showing down for the month of september the dow the the s&p and the nasdaq are all nearly neck and neck down about one and a half percent each uh for the month of september we still have pot we still have gains for the third quarter of 2021 with with the s&p and the nasdaq tied at up 3.7 percent, which is still a good core i mean if the quarter ended on friday I mean that's what almost sixteen percent annualized for a quarter. It's I mean, not a bad that's, year. That, that's not a bad uh, that, year that's by any f- stretch
1: of the imagination. No, yeah, it's above. I mean, that, it's above. That's, his a, that's a good. That's a it's good. Abo- quarter. It's above
0: all
2: our predictions. But
1: but yeah. Jeff, to your question, yes, September second, if. A qu- according to my technical charts, was the high for the S&P 500. But you're right. The Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ, were their highs were all around that first week of September. And what you're alluding to was seasonality, which is something that the financial entertainment press has been talking about. The September-October timeframes, there's a seasonality and some history behind it where the markets go through some very choppy times. And I remember years past, Jeff, it always seems – the last week of the third quarter for some reason it was the third quarter that last week of september where we saw a lot of volatility and that there was a last week of selling going into the third quarter i just distinctly remember it was like some third quarter effect year over year where we were seeing selling in the last week of the quarter now i don't of uh, the third quarter i don't know if that was some kind of rebalancing due to mutual funds preparing to kick off capital gains. I have no idea, but it always seems that, that last week of September always tends to be more volatile. And we still, the jury is still out on this Evergrande, which was the huge Chinese real estate company of whether or not they're going to be able to service their debt to the tune of about $83 billion. I know, I believe they made some payments to their Chinese investors, but to the U.S., and European investors, that jury is still out, whether or not they're going to pay them. And so just be very careful. We could see some more volatility the first part of next week. Let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call at our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, Take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. You can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget to, to subscribe, like, and comment to the MoneyWise podcast on Apple Podcasts. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program before we went to commercial break, we had the the down the S and P positive for the uh, ending week last week. Nasdaq was statistically flat, but if you had missed Monday, as far as if you watched the market on a, on a continuous basis, if you missed Monday, you would have thought this past week was just a you know ho hum regular week, you know just adding some gains to the to the overall markets. But of course, Monday kicked off with a lot of hand wringing and fear and the bears kind of rearing their heads out of the cave as i said in the last segment cuz we had selling two weeks prior thursday friday and then monday i know jeff you you texted me late sunday evening and i hadn't turned the futures on yet from the overseas markets and we saw the dow futures down 300 plus points and trying to ascertain exactly what you know what was causing this this sell off in the futures and it turned out that it was this giant Chinese real estate conglomerate Evergrande and fears that they're not going to be able to service uh, a debt payment that was coming due of about $83 billion. Now, the big question on Monday is, was this going to cause some kind of systemic failure around the world in the banking community?
0: Yes, and the it word was, consta- could contagion. Contagion. Around, and, I, I, and I even heard uh, them talking about you know is this another Lehman Brothers moment, and so when you it's put not. Would you put these words into the, the market, media
1: streams,
0: the, machines, the AP
1: feed, yeah, the, the algorithms,
0: the machines pick up on the you know those algorithms pick up on those words, and next thing you know, a, you know, three hundred down at the futures at the open turns into six hundred by what one one o'clock in the afternoon it was minus nine hundred at 900. one time on the Dow. Correct. And then we and we ended up closing, I think, down six hundred on Monday. Uh, I, Sixty-eight billion dollars sounds like a lot of money.
1: Eighty-three billion. Uh, 83 billion. eighty-three billion. Eighty-three, 83
0: yes. billion sounds like a lot. Of, I mean, it's a lot of money. Is it enough to create a worldwide uh, financial crisis? I don't think so. Is the uh, f- is the property market in China? I mean. How many times has the property market in China almost collapsed in the last 15 years? I, mean, I, I know there's well, been multiple well, we've talked- there's been multiple government interventions in China yeah. in the in their property market over the last 10-15 years. Do you think they're not going to intervene again?
1: Well, and I just want to educate our listeners a little bit the, the kind of the difference when it comes to GDP growth and how they gauge it in China and how it works differently than here in the U.S. In the U.S., we're a consumption-based kind of GDP calculation, whereas in China, it's about production. So the more they produce, the bigger their GDP. Well, for years and years, this goes back years, and I've seen stories and read articles about these these areas of China called ghost cities, where you have cities the size of the Dallas Metroplex, Austin Metroplex, Houston, these huge high-rise towers, with nobody there, nobody in them. They were funded and they were built, but the buildings are shells. There's no interior walls, there's no carpeting, there's no finish outs, but they were able to raise the funds and build the buildings to help to help boost their production-based GDP. And They've been doing this for years and years. In fact, I saw a video here recently where they've imploded some of these towers. To do what? To rebuild them again and be able to stack onto their GDP growth? To say, hey, our economy is humming and dinging along. You need to invest your money here. But at the end of the day, if there is some type of failure with Evergrande, the quote-unquote ripple effect that the financial entertainment press was wringing their hands about, As far as domestic banks here in the U.S., they really don't have that much, if any, exposure at all. I believe BlackRock was the one firm that was mentioned, but they have a big presence in Europe. So there's some European banks that could potentially be negatively affected by it. But but you're right, Jeff. It's not a Lehman Brothers type situation. We know from the stress tests that have been done on the U.S. domestic banks that our banks are flush with cash, they're well-capitalized, and have tons of reserves to absorb any type of financial-type crisis again. And these were rules that came out of the financial crisis. Yeah, Joe.
2: Well, I I think big picture, if you're a listener and you're an investor, it's a big reason why we don't have emerging markets anymore in our
0: portfolio and we're light-
2: on international if we have inter- any international exposure at all
0: i believe china was one of the biggest components of most emerging markets yep
1: which uh, we got rid of time yeah,
0: back we got and if you look at the emerging markets and international performance for the year and here's a little Here's a little. Uh, I guess I'm gonna tie this into what we were talking about last week. the Joe knows where oh, I'm going. Joe, statisticals? Joe, Joe knows where I'm going with this. But for for all of you listeners out there that that have that are that, whose advisors are the
1: big. Wirehouses. Legacy, legacy distribution system wirehouses. They use the, computers to manage money and not human beings. Or I human can almost process. guarantee
0: you that you have an exposure of anywhere between 15 to 25% in international and or emerging market securities. And so emerging markets year to date through the close of business on Thursday is negative for the year, down <laughs> 1.5%.
1: Now, if a human being who was worth their salt in the world of asset management would not have exposure in those asset classes, but like, like we've said, if you work with one of these major warehouse legacy distribution firms, your portfolio more than likely is being run by a computer algorithm. Just like the prospective client that we talked about two weeks ago as a classic example, where she was physically told, by the firm that she's been working with for 11 years that we do not use human beings to manage our assets anymore. We use computers and algorithms. And when I was talking to her, I said that these types of firms that manage trillions of dollars of assets, they're a victim of their own size and their clients are victims of their own size and success because they don't physically have the the, the people power to physically actively manage assets. And so you have to ask yourself as an investor if you're working with these types of firms, why are you paying a management fee for this and are your assets worth more to you than to have it be run by a computer algorithm?
0: What's the other reason why they're not actively managed? Especially if the if the portfolios are full of proprietary mutual funds. They get paid a so the They'd other be reason is their own there's, that's right. there is no reason to reduce allocations to stocks, but in their particular, por- their portfolios, because especially if they have money invested in their own mutual funds, because they would be reducing their own revenues. And we saw that time and time again in the financial crisis in 08, 09, with many different firms.
1: Why do you think the legacy distribution system says during market turmoil, they say, stay the course? Because if you got out or if you reduced exposure, you would be affecting their overall revenue as a firm. Think about that. Don't you want your assets to be with a firm that is a wise steward of your assets, that's focused solely on you and your best interest and your portfolio's best interest and not the company's bottom line's best interest. You, you know what's what's an interesting
2: tidbit. I've done a the last two portfolio reviews I've done, where clients, new clients, have done their own investing. They'll have between five and zero percent international because they're doing it themselves versus what the computers are doing. That's right. It, it, you know, it's you doing it yourself in a lot of cases would be better than letting legacy firms handle your money when you're looking at getting in and out of particular asset classes, international. And I actually thought that was
1: pretty enlightening. So maybe they're just well, listening to the show, I don't know, but well, it may, that that could be true. Oh, pat them know, on but, the back. But there but there go. again, if if you're with one of these legacy distribution firms and you pull up your portfolio it's chock full of 35, 40 different mutual funds, 10 or 15, 20 different exchange traded funds. This is again just another process they use to make it seem like they're doing more than they really are. And your portfolio can actually get to a point where it becomes over-diversified, where you have such tiny participation in a particular asset class that even if it has a fantastic year, the overall end effect in your portfolio is minuscule. It's absolutely minuscule. You know, when we look at our accounts where we own mutual funds and exchange-traded funds, we might have seven. We might have nine positions, but we don't have 30 because we're looking for the best to breed investment option to fill that place for whichever asset class based on our research and analysis and all of our decades of experience of being in the trenches, physically actively managing client portfolios to put those asset classes that we feel are going to give our clients assets the best possible opportunity for capital appreciation. While on top of that, mitigating risk through active management and asset allocation.
0: Not a single one of those pays us anything to own them.
1: That is correct.
0: So we don't have proprietary so relationships. We don't have well, there securities are, no are in our
1: portfolio based purely from an objective standpoint. Is this the best of breed going through our gauntlet of analysis and research? And that's how they make it in the portfolio. And on top of that, we personally own it ourselves. Well, with that, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget to subscribe, comment, and like the MoneyWise program and the MoneyWise podcast on Apple Podcasts. So I have to apologize to Dad in advance because I know Jeff, during commercial break, I mentioned that we need to talk a little bit about the Fed because there was a Fed meeting this past week and he said he admonished you. Uh, on Friday, and tongue he, lashing. A tongue. He's he's begging us not to talk about the Fed, but but the Fed and their decisions and their comments do have an end effect on the markets. And this past week on Wednesday, the Federal Reserve uh, ended their two day meeting, and Jerome Powell, of course, the Fed came out and said that they're not making any kind of changes to interest rates. The other thing is they did not announce the official start of when they're going to be tapering or reducing their $120 billion a month of bond buying that's been injecting uh, liquidity into the overall market, but they're getting closer. And I think that the the comments were very much digested and dissected as being more hawkish. But the one thing that... Um, I, I don't want to give myself a pat on the back because I know, Jeff, you and I have been arguing back and forth about this and how the market's going to react when they well, do I, I start would, finally tapering their buy. Yeah, I, 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 dis, I, I disagree. I, I,
0: I disagree that that the market uh, interpreted as hawkish. I would say the market interpreted as dovish by the fact of the rally that we've had you know, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So, Everything
1: I read said that their comments were hawkish, but then the uh, market didn't react to it. Which the fact tells that they're me- gonna,
0: the fact that we know that they're going to eventually have to start the taper, and they will eventually have to raise interest rates, in and of itself, is is hawkish. I mean, it's it, what, if it's if it's going to be next week, it's obviously more hawkish than it would necessarily be if it wasn't until 2023, where you've got. You know, a year, fifteen months to get ready for it. Uh,
1: my my point is that the they have been talking about it for months. Right, it has been telegraphed for months. We know it's going to be happening sooner rather than later. They pretty much said just as much on Wednesday this past week, and the markets didn't have any kind of reaction to it, which tells me. when they finally do start doing the tapering the markets are going to take it well in stride and that it's primarily priced into the market and i know the big i guess discussion we've gotten into on this program is that you have a little bit more of a concern that the market's going to have a more aggressive knee-jerk reaction to when they finally do start tapering their bond purchasing Like we saw this past Monday over this whole Evergrande, the way the market reacted to Evergrande, that the market could react the same way when they finally do start reducing their bond purchasing. But the other thing I've been saying is that due to the Delta variant, the weaker employment numbers from uh, from August, that it's giving Fed some cover to kick the can a little bit further down the road uh, when they do finally start reducing their bond purchasing. And I don't believe they have a meeting in October so november would be the earliest we would hear them actually announce the date so let's say they announce that they're going to start in december at the earliest i know that i've been on record going back months that i don't think they're going to begin the tapering until the first quarter of uh, of 2022 so i guess well i can assure you
0: i can assure you that phone calls are being made from folks in the administration begging the federal reserve to not do anything with interest rates, whether it's a taper, whether it's an interest rate increase, totally agree. until until after the midterm elections next year. Yeah, so totally now, agree. Now, I, I will I will say the thing about this rally this week. The thing about any big rallies after you have a big decline, you don't know if the money that went into this rally that caused it is long term investing money or short term investing money. The market doesn't measure that. They just it's just money in. More people were wanting to buy than were wanting to sell Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. That was obviously the opposite on Monday. Now I, I can't; none of us can say that they couldn't reverse this right again on Monday, or sometime in the next few weeks. Volatility is definitely going is is, is going up. I mean, you can't you can't say it any other way because the Federal Reserve is gonna have to start the taper, the market is gonna have a reaction, and it's gonna be a function of so many different things. The the velocity at which interest rates increase or don't increase based on the Fed's taper plan, combined with what's happening with earnings which I think is 75% of the equation, in my opinion. And then all these other little things, the Delta variant, the unemployment numbers, the supply chain challenges, those are all little, little things, you know, inflation. Those are smaller factors, variables. And when you take in the whole equation, I think it's 75% earnings and 25% the velocity of interest rate increases. As long as the velocity of interest rate increases stay shallow, the market can better digest it. Now, in the last week, we were up almost a tenth of a percent in the ten-year Treasury yield, and the and the and the Dow rallied what a thousand points,
1: yeah. Tuesday through Friday, at least if not a little more.
0: So, <clears throat> the market can digest. That kind of velocity up in in interest rates. What it can't digest very easily is a half percent uh, in a week or a percent in a month. Those are the things that the markets will – those are velocities that the markets will have a harder time digesting. But we got earnings coming up here in the next few weeks. And as I've been talking about over I don't know how many shows here during the summer, is we're going to – the companies are going to be coming up against much more difficult comparisons. And we still have, you know, we're still bumping up against these historically high P.E. ratios. In and the just, just I'm just talking about the market in general. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the S&P 500 Okay, man. But in the S&P you 500, only 23 percent of the S&P 500 has been driving
1: the return so far this year. Only 23 well, percent.
0: I can't say that that's. That's not great. Well, I'd rather I'd rather see fifty, broader. sixty, seventy percent. I'd say, like see broader participation. Just as Joe was going to say, but,
1: but but all I was going to say is that you've got thirty to forty percent of the S and P five hundred, and those stocks anywhere between ten to twenty percent below their fifty two week highs. So there's definitely some stock picking buying opportunities. Okay, so they're below their fifty two week highs, but
0: they're not at their fifty two week lows. I no, mean, but but
1: you're that, gonna see some price multiples that that are definitely gonna be dialed back. And I read a very interesting article this past week that some of these large mega cap tech names you can you can't really utilize or use the P E multiples anymore when it comes to oh analyzing oh. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna
0: suspend now. We're gonna suspend I don't know how many
1: Decades there's other, there's of, other fundamentals. Of, of traditional
0: stock and how, like what?
1: Well, you have to look at sales. You have to look at sales volume, sales volume growth. You have to okay. look at addressable markets. You What's have an to look addressable at cash, market? Basically the size of, of potential customers. Okay. You know, so you look at somebody like a Facebook. Well, the, the globe could be anyone who's got connectivity to the Internet could be a customer. And when okay. they IPO, they have over 900 million daily active users. So, how many companies come to market an IPO with nine hundred million customers? So, so you're that's basically you have a much
2: more diverse
1: uh, yeah, okay. customer base. Right. And, you look, right. at so you and look at cash e, flows. You look at cash flows.
0: The E of the because equation. let's not forget the E of the equation, earnings. All I mean, we're going to suspend using price to earnings ratio. I mean that you know that's almost sounds like someone, not on all that, that almost sounds like something someone would have said in the dot com era. Oh, we can't. You can't measure Pets.com on a P.E. basis anymore. Oh, that, but, pe- that analysis again, doesn't
1: make it's, sense. It's, it's for select companies. God, you had to bring that up. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's select companies. <laughs> a legacy firm when that G- thing IPO'd. Oh, my G- gosh. G- Everybody G- wanted it. Everybody. Well, I can tell you this. Google, Amazon, Microsoft, NVIDIA, these aren't those types of companies. This isn't dogfood.com or two guys sitting in a garage that decide to IPO in 1999. You know, let's, let's not forget that Amazon for years had triple-digit PEs and didn't turn a profit for more than 20 years because they were constantly reinvesting. But let me ask you this. Wait you, no, wait,
0: wait, you brought up Amazon. What's Amazon done in the last year? Oh, let, me at, no, let me ask. No, let no, no. me answer Jeff. my question. No, no, no. Answer no, my question I, first. You interrupted <laughs> my question.
1: If you Amazon, a chance, has, not, Amazon, is the, Amazon is has
0: not done very in. much in the last year, and we owned it in the portfolio.
1: OK, so let me ask you this question. If you could go back into the DeLorean, back in time of the DeLorean with Doc yeah. Brown, and you yeah. could buy Amazon on its IPO, would you? The answer is absolutely yes because well, you'd be retired right now uh, yeah, if that but, occurred.
0: Okay, so what is that okay. All I'm
1: saying, all I'm saying is that some of the traditional valuation methodology for these mega high flying higher PE tech companies, you have to look at other underlying fundamentals to gauge them for the shorter, mid you... and longer term from an investment standpoint yeah. and not just purely focus on the price to earnings multiple. That's all I'm saying. And that was the article that I read. It was a very interesting article that I read. Was it
0: written by somebody that managed money?
1: Uh, I'm not sure, but but here's the thing. I know that we, we have – Was it
0: written by anyone that's been out of it school? For, for, it was written for by, less, by me. It was written by me. Was it written by someone <laughs> that's? Kyle been, is hold his own on, quoting article. Anyway. Hold on. Was it written <laughs> yeah. by somebody that's it's that's, published, been, don't you know? that's been out of school for, for less than five years that doesn't know diddly squat about investing over 30 years? Well, I doubt hold that it.
1: thought. I actually okay. wrote it so you and I could get to an argument as well. Oh, really? <laughs> so let's take another commercial break. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the MoneyWise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation. Or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your MoneyWise guys. You can reach us at our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget to subscribe, like, and comment the MoneyWise podcast on Apple Podcasts. So, we hosed ourselves off during the commercial break. If you were with us through the commercial break from the last segment, we're not fighting. The, the, I mean, I, what the whole point of why we started this show, what going on 16 years ago, was so we could pull the curtain back and allow listeners to get involved in the discussions that actual portfolio managers have when it comes to making decisions in portfolios, in their clients' portfolios, in their personal portfolios. These are the conversations, the debates that we have. And I would say the one good thing, and I was having a a conversation this past week with a client, I says, "It's, it's great to have three different managers with three different points of view where we're all not cut from the same cloth. There is a yin and yang that we have when it comes to our discussions to come to a consensus of the decisions that we make in the portfolio. It, yeah, Joe.
2: And essentially it's a system of checks and balances. That's when you look at it, we all balance each other out. I might not, I might agree with Jeff one day, I might agree with Kyle the next day
1: and that's how it's and, and then so, and some days you might disagree with both of us and he and I agree. So, and then that's how we come to a consensus. It's not just one person, that's the that's the, the lead horse. We're all three the lead horses, but we want we, we just want to pull the curtain back to allow the listeners to listen in to the conversations that we do have and the things that we're discussing on a daily basis within our strategy meetings. Okay. Yeah, so
0: this article that's that's advocating the lesser importance of the price to earnings ratio measurement as a means of determining, whether a stock is undervalued, fully valued, or fairly valued uh, and using some other metrics such as sales or sales growth. Really, it reminds me of the late 20th century when folks were trying to justify the valuations of a pets.com or any other stock that had the words.com applied to it. And as we all know, that ended with, oh yeah, well price, You know, earnings do actually matter, and it was followed by a a three-year bear market. Now, I am not, ladies and gentlemen, I am not saying that that is what's happening in the marketplace today. I'm not saying that. But this article, Kyle, covers zilch new ground. We heard this kind of baloney at the end of the dot-com era, and now they're recycling it to justify the valuation of
1: some, not all companies, I will grant you that, some, but not all. And so, these are well-established companies, unlike in the dot-com era, where it was brand-new companies out of a garage or someone's basement somewhere. These are well-established, highly capitalized, mega-cap companies with multi—you know hundreds of billions of dollars of market capital, capitalization, if not trillions of dollars of market capitalization.
2: I, I'll say this, coming back when I was a legacy firm, and some of the portfolios, even Kyle and I, we worked together for a certain mutual fund company. Some of the portfolios that were put together, I remember we had, what was it, triple play, Kyle? They threw PE ratios out the out the window. Out the window. Yeah. It was a third tech, a third large cap growth, and a third growth in income.
1: Yeah, it was a growth mean, in income. Wow, I can't would,
2: believe you remember that. That was like from 20 I, years ago. I man. Have, I'm like an elephant.
1: But anyways,
2: <laughs> but I do remember that. To just point, look what happened, you know? That eventually, eventually it matters. Yeah. Eventually it might matter. I think large cap growth and, and particularly large cap tech, it, 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 there are real earnings. These are real companies. And there's nobody in the basement launching an IPO and, and valuations are. But this is the blown.
1: key but, of why you have to diversify, right. the, you know, spreading your eggs across many baskets, one of the oldest sayings on wall street, you know, and, and as by philosophy and a hard, hard, High recommendation for any listener is to never have more than 5% of your investable net worth in any one individual company stock, period. I don't care what it is. It could be Amazon or no more than 5% of your investable net worth. That is a hard, hard, fast rule that we stick to like Gorilla Glue. So Taking
2: take, take a synopsis of what we're this discussion we just had, that's why as portfolio managers, we have more of a barbell approach right now. We have some stocks with relatively high PEs. We have some what you call value that pay dividends that have lower PEs. And that's,
1: that's where right. we are right now. And and and, and, I, and I think from conversations that we've had this past week, this barbell approach and strategy is something that we're going to continue well into into next year. So, you know, but there, are something-
0: ongoing, there are ongoing discussions about. You know, when you think of a barbell, you think of a fairly balanced, you think of a balanced, uh, you think, you know, barbell in the weight room, one side's the same weight as the other. That's not how the portfolio is currently structured. We may be shifting the barbell away from the higher PE names to the lower PE names on the other side of the barbell, maybe.
1: That's still up for debate.
0: That's still that's gonna for, be a big, that's gonna be a big that's, debate. That's a that full will be hour. That'll be full hour of 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 fighting. Davidson, get your coffee ready wise. and your popcorn at the same it's, time.
1: It 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 would be it would definitely be more than a one hour uh, money wise program. That's so let's t- let's talk better.
0: about what do we do in the portfolio this week in terms of changes. None. Nothing. Now we, we did we not have we did not have a show the previous week. That's correct. And so there were. I'm trying to think. Did we did those changes occur on the week that we did not have a show, or the week before no, that we, it was, we discussed yes. it? Okay, it's
1: been several weeks That's ago right. that we raised. So we cash. haven't
0: we ha- we haven't made any changes to the portfolio in the last two weeks. Uh, there's a contemplation of potentially increasing asset allocations to stocks. Uh, the consensus right now slowly, slowly. The consensus right now has been to do been to do nothing. In terms of increasing the asset allocation, I don't like, as you well know, I don't like to increase stock allocation so close to earnings season because earnings season is right around the corner. And we we need to hear, you know, let's hear what the outlook is. Let's hear what's happening in the supply chain. How much is it affecting some of these companies? Are they able to overcome it? Is it going to be affecting their margins, which then can bleed into profits? you know, I'm hearing a lot of things That's a fair question. And the whole comparison year over year. You know, that comparison is going to get harder.
1: Well, we know from the second quarter earnings that a lot of those CEOs were lowering that bar to make it easier for them to jump over in future quarters. So, And, and they have plenty of cover to give reasons for dialing back their forward guidance. And so... You know, I won't be surprised, and I don't think the market would be surprised to hear more of that to come. But with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour. So if you're listening to MoneyWise on 1200 W-O-A-I, we'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend show. Again, if you'd like to catch the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com or subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts. For listeners of Money Wise on 1360 KKTX and Corpus Christi, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll be diving into the second half hour of this weekend's MoneyWise Wise program and continuing with some more investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management.
0: All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. and We are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of
0: MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at DavidsonCap.com. Thank
1: you, Jeff. You're welcome. And just a little housekeeping. Uh, this weekend's Money Wise program is going to be a half hour shorter, and the Fighting Texas Aggies pregame will be starting at one thirty this afternoon. So in this last half hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and as we like to to use the second hour of our program to go into investor education, I wanted to talk about a topic that we've talked about before in the past, Jeff. I know it's something we haven't uh, we haven't gone into in some time. And the reason why I want to discuss this is because of a new a new client, new couple that that have come to us and It just, again, gave me motivation to have this conversation again, and it really pertains to their particular experience, in particular the the husband of the couple and his experience. He works for a major corporation here in the Corpus Christi area. I'm not going to, to, to release the name of the corporation, but it's a very large employer here, and wanted to just talk about and really to educate all of our listeners that are maybe a year away from retiring, maybe six months away from retiring, folks that are, have been saving in their 401K, maybe even have a traditional pension to go along with their 401K. But I wanted to really discuss their ex, his experience in particular and use that as kind of an educational jump-off point for our other listeners that might find themselves in this similar situation. Um, so just want to give a little background on this, on this brand-new client and kind of his experience. He was a participant in a 401K and, and is a participant in a 401K for this major corporation. And this major corporation's 401K is managed by a very large name-brand brokerage firm. Um, just like most of our listeners would be able to identify and recognize these major brokerage firms from the Edward Joneses to the Morgan Stanleys to the Merrill Lynches of the world, this is who is overseeing the 401K. And he had talked to me about in years past, where periodically throughout the year there would be retirement planning seminars, and what these, and really what these seminars were about, and what I've really learned. It was really more of yes, it's a retirement planning seminar, but but more or less, it's, it's a, a business, sales pitch. It's
0: a business retention tool. It's really what it is. It's a it's a relationship building. Uh, procedure, if you will, and we have we have dealt with this particular employer and retirees from this particular employer for many, many, many years. And this large name brand Wall Street firm has been involved in the four hundred one k at this particular employer the entire time. And we hear these stories, and this particular story is is not is somewhat uh, what we've heard before, and and some parts of it are very new. And another, th- another reason why we're bringing this up at this time of the year is that the end of any calendar year is typically a time when there's a lot of folks that choose to retire. And it's in these last few months of the year that these organizations that need to try to keep the 401k business with their organization, have these seminars as a way of, of, of retaining the assets should these employees retire and decide to, to roll out their 401K into another retirement account. It's to the uh, organization's advantage from a profitability standpoint to want to hang on to these assets. And we totally understand
1: that. We get it. We, we 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 get we get it, but but you know what's also unique about this particular 401k is it offers a self-directed brokerage option, which uh, you typically only see the self-directed brokerage options in large employer corporate 401ks 401ks that have billions upon billions of dollars. And what a self-directed brokerage brokerage account is, is it allows plan participants to go and work with an outside asset management firm. Here at Davidson Capital, we work with a very large employer here in town, and we are a self-directed brokerage option. Uh, even though we're not brokers, we're registered investment advisors, but the employees are able to go and continue to invest in their 401K, and then the assets flow through the custodian of those assets to Davidson Capital Management for us to actively manage those assets as they're working and building their retirement nest egg. And that was the same situation with this new client. But what he was telling me when he went into these seminars in the past is that he got the impression from the the organization, from the group that was coming in there to give the presentation is that if you're getting ready to retire, this is your only option. Your only option is to retire and roll these assets out with us to maintain here at this brokerage firm, and we 're going to quote unquote manage these assets for you and and he said that him and his colleagues just they're constantly talking about their retirement and the retirement nesting and what are they going to do and what are they going to do and a lot of his colleagues got that same feeling that this, this is the not, only
0: direction this is this is not new from this organization. We have heard this from from other folks in the past that the the, the sales pitch is is very well honed one-sided and, <laughs> it's a and, one-sided pitch and and we're here to tell you and we're coming up on the break here in a, in a short period of time that when someone tries to frame to you as the employ, as the holder of that 401k the owner of that 401k that they are the only choice you better bet, you bet that they are not the only choice and you need to, to do everything that you can to investigate what the other choices are out there for you because anyone that tries to tell you that they're, they're, they're the only choice, they're not telling you the truth. And the truth is they want to maintain your assets. We understand that. But what we don't like is when they frame it in such a way that it, it, it is, that they, they will not disclose to you that you do actually have other choices that don't
1: include them. Well, and I think something else that was so frustrating for for our new client, Jeff, is how many hoops they had to jump through to go through the process in order to get these assets moved over under our management, and how frustrated our clients were of all the hoops they had to jump through. And again, we have experience of ta- of having business come in from this organization, and we know the amount of hoops, but it was getting to the point where where he was so frustrated. He's like, wow, I don't know why anyone would ever move because they make it so onerous. And again, that is the trick. That's, that's exactly what they want. That's exactly what they want. They want to make it to have so many hoops and so many hurdles to jump over that you just say, you know what, I'm going to leave it where it is. Well, we're coming up on break. I want to continue on this topic, continue on this education, and we'll do that right after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at So continuing on investor education and talking about again this new client that just came into us this past week from a major organization, Major 401k, and the brokerage firm that he had at one point in time, and, he, and it, what, what was so amazing is that he didn't even realize that he had selected this self directed brokerage option from seminars in the past with this organization. Now, what this brokerage firm has that's overseeing the 401k is that they have pockets of brokers in all the major cities that this company has a major employee presence that come out and do periodic retirement, quote unquote, you know, retirement seminars. And so he'd been to a retirement seminar in the past and somehow had signed something or had agreed to something to start this self-directed brokerage option with this organization, not knowing really anything about them other than the presentation pitch that they gave in front of the group of the employees, but also feeling like that this was the only direction he could go with his retirement assets as he went through the seminar. And as you mentioned, uh, Jeff, in the last segment, is that, If you're working towards your retirement, you're a year out, six months out, eight months out, you have the total options of who you want to oversee your money, whether it's you yourself by rolling it out into a self-directed IRA that you're managing yourself, maybe through a discount broker, or if you want to go work with a different brokerage firm or a firm that is not involved in the 401k, going and hiring a registered investment advisor like a Davidson Capital Management to take discretionary control of those assets and manage it for you. We're just really here to, to, to provide that education to let you know that you have the ultimate control and the ultimate choices. Do not get sucked in in these retirement seminars and thinking that this is the only option you have because that is what they're going to make you feel like because as Jeff said earlier, they want to retain those assets. They don't want the assets leaving the major brokerage firm that's overseeing the 401k and of course the local representative that's coming out to do the presentation wants to continue to build their book of business. So as I learned about the group that came out to give this presentation, I did a little bit of research. And as we've educated here on the Money Wise program, that all you simply have to do is go to Google. You do what's called a broker check, and it's going to take you to the FINRA website. Because everyone in the financial service industry has a permanent record. And that permanent record is going to show you if someone has any past misdemeanors or felony charges, if they filed bankruptcy, if they've had customer disputes and complaints. And so I wanted to take a look at at this group that came out to give this presentation just to see what their record looked like. And lo and behold, what did I find? I found three customer complaints where there was accusations of fraud, account churning, Misrepresentations, improper asset allocations, and the organization that employed this group of of brokers had paid restitution to the tune of five hundred and seventy five thousand dollars over the course of their career. Not exactly a group of people that I would want to entrust my retirement assets and my retirement nest egg with, particularly when there is accusations of of churning and of potential fraud and misappropriations.
0: What is really disappointing in this particular case is that this the, this employer, this this huge employer, has not does not appear to have taken the time to have vetted out the people that are coming out on their premises. If I correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, Kyle but these presentations are being done on the pres- on the premises of the employer itself, not at the brokerage house's premises. So these folks are coming on site, on property, giving these presentations to their employees, this captive audience. That's correct. And they're not vetting out these people to see what kind of records, what kind of credentials that they have. Because this is a particularly poor... Finra report that we've seen, especially from someone that is actually still employed at this organization. Mm-hmm. That, mean, that's what I, I was mean, surprised. A half million dollars is a lot. Of, uh, that's a lot of money to be paid at paying out in fines and restitution. Uh, pardon me. In restitution, uh, I, I, was it restitution? It or was resti- no, okay. it was restitution. Pardon me. It wasn't fines. It was restitution. So there, w- there was clearly. Uh, I wouldn't think that a that an that an organization a brokerage firm would willingly pay out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to a customer
1: if there wasn't merit to their claim to begin with and and then when I started digging a little bit deeper and just getting a background of our new client and really their conservative nature, the fact that they you know are are very nervous about the market and wanting to have their assets protected. I do a portfolio review and analysis, as I do for any prospective client, and what do I find? I find that almost 96% of their total investable net worth of this couple, because the wife is a client also, who also had assets with this group as well, they were sitting 96% in equities. And then I dig a little bit deeper, and what do I find? They are trading this account day in and day out, day in and day out, constantly, constantly, and d- I dig a little bit further, and I find out that this group is charging over three percent. So underst- to do what they're doing. So understand
0: that that if I'm give, going out to give this seminar, these assets are already at my brokerage house. Mm-hmm. The brokerage house is already receiving fees and expenses from the four hundred one k participants uh, for for their participation in this plan. But I could go out to this captive audience and sell them on the opportunity to take a portion of their assets into a self-directed account where I can then turn around and raise their fees up tremendously. I mean, do you really think they're paying 3% in their 401Ks right now? For Absolutely what? not. Uh, no way. There's There's no way. way. They're paying that kind of money in their 401Ks. So I can take this captive audience, take them out of their their original 401K options, Put them into a self-directed brokerage account that's being managed at this brokerage firm.
1: And I use management quote unquote, quotations.
0: Really, it appears that, that they're doing way too much trading, inappropriate asset allocation, Performance is horrible. And the performance was horrible, which is one thing. Yeah, we definitely <laughs> want to say that. that the, we, we saw long, longer-term performance numbers that were really poor.
1: And we can hit them with over 3% in fees. I mean, that's like rubbing salt. I mean, it's, it's rubbing more salt on a wound and then pouring vinegar and then alcohol on that wound when you put all of these together. And, you know, again, we're talking about this to provide that education. You know, if you're participating in a 401K and you're past the age of 59 and, a half, and you still want to continue to work for many years in the future, you have the option and you have the ability to take what's called an in-service distribution. And we've worked with a lot of clients over the past 25-plus years of business that we've been in that have taken and done these in-service distributions that allows you to roll the balance of your 401k. Because if you've been working in an organization 30, 35 years, and you're sitting on half a million, dollars 700000 that you've saved up in your nest egg, and you're the one that's overseeing it and it's making you nervous, you have the ability to take that in-service distribution past the age of 59 and a half, Roll those assets out. It's not a taxable event. Put them into a self-directed IRA where you can go and work with a traditional broker, someone on the sales side if you want to, or a registered investment advisor like a Davidson Capital Management who can take that discretionary control and manage those assets for you on your behalf, while you're still continuing to work and still continuing to contribute and participate in the 401k because your participation doesn't stop. It just takes your balance from what it was, let's say 500000 down to zero, and you're starting new. And we've had clients, Jeff, in the past, and I know you know this, that would contribute to the 401k for a year get the matching contributions get the profit sharing dollars then make one phone call to us say i'm hey i'm rolling my balance for the year into what you're already managing for me and they did that like clockwork year over year over year so just know that if you're participating in a 401k you're past 59 and a half you can go and do what's called a in service distribution. It's built into a prototype 401k plans. It's part of the IRS law for the 401k. So you have that ability. But keep in mind, when you go to these retirement plan seminars and they bring representatives of the company that's overseeing the 401k, they are not going to talk about this.
0: They have a vested
1: interest in maintaining
0: your assets at their organization. And they're, they're not going to, like you said, they're, they're not going to come out and volunteer this to you. And if you choose not to go with them, understand that, that some of them may make it very difficult for you to pull the money out. But you know what? It's your money, and you should decide exactly where it wants to go. And and if you don't like the way they're treating you on the way out the door, tell your employer to That's get right. rid of these folks and find someone else that is not going to play this game with their their employees. Because... This particular group right now that's at this major employer, if the company knew the truth about what these folks, their backgrounds on and what they've been doing, I don't think they would be out there giving these seminars today.
1: So if you'd like to learn more about in-service distributions or if there's anything that we could do here at Davidson Capital Management to help educate you and, and again, discuss your options pending retirement, you can definitely give us a call in our office at 906 Zero zero seven zero again nine zero six zero zero seven zero, and with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. From my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson. saying a fantastic weekend and to your financial health. We will talk to you next week.